16. If the bell either would not ring at all, or would ring incessantly until the cell was exhausted, when the push button is free, as in figure 216, the cell terminals are not connected in an unbroken path, and hence the current does not flow. When, however, the button is pressed, the current has a complete path, provided there is the proper connection at that island the pressure on the push button permits current to flow to the bell. The flow of this current then depends solely upon the connection at which is alternately made and broken, and in this way produces sound. The sign, bell out of order, is usually due to the fact that the battery is either temporarily or permanently exhausted. In warm weather the liquid in the cell may dry up and cause stoppage of the current. If fresh liquid is poured into the vessel so that the chemical action of the acid on the zinc is renewed, the current again flows. Another explanation of an out-of-order bell is that the liquid may have eaten up all the zinc, if this is the case. The insertion of a fresh strip of zinc will remove the difficulty and the current will flow. If dry cells are used, there is no remedy except in the purchase of new cells. 299. How electricity may be lost to use. In the electric bell, we saw that an air gap at the push button stopped the flow of electricity. If we cut the wire connecting the poles of a battery, the current ceases because an air gap intervenes and electricity does not readily pass through air. Many substances besides air stop the flow of electricity. If a strip of glass, rubber, mica, or paraffin is introduced anywhere in a circuit, the current ceases. If a metal is inserted in the gap, the current again flows. Substances which, like an air gap, interfere with the flow of electricity are called non-conductors, or, more commonly, insulators. Substances which, like the earth, the human body, and all other moist objects, conduct electricity are conductors. If the telephone and electric light wires in our houses were not insulated by a covering of thread, or cloth, or other non-conducting material, the electricity would escape into surrounding objects instead of flowing through the wire and producing sound and light. In our city streets, the overhead wires are supported on glass knobs or are closely wrapped, in order to prevent the escape of electricity through the poles to the ground, in order to have a steady, dependable current. The wire carrying the current must be insulated. Lack of insulation means not only the loss of current for practical uses, but also serious consequences in the event of the crossing of current-bearing wires. If two wires properly insulated touch each other, the currents flow along their respective wires and altered. If, however, two uninsulated wires touch, some of the electricity flows from one to the other. Heat is developed as a result of this transference and the heat thus developed is sometimes so great that fire occurs. For this reason, wires are heavily insulated and extra protection is provided at points where numerous wires touch or cross. Conductors and insulators are necessary to the efficient and economic flow of a current, the insulator preventing the escape of electricity and lessening the danger of fire, and the conductor carrying the current. 300. The Telegraph Telegraphy is the process of transmitting messages from place to place by means of an electric current. The principle underlying the action of the telegraph is the principle upon which the electric bell operates, namely, that a piece of soft iron becomes a magnet while a current flows around it, but loses its magnetism as soon as the current ceases. In the electric bell, the electromagnet, clapper, push button, and battery are relatively near. Usually all are located in the same building while in the telegraph the current may travel miles before it reaches the electromagnet and produces motion of the armature. The fundamental connections of the telegraph are shown in figure 217. If the key is pressed down by an operator in Philadelphia, 
the current from the battery only one cell is shown for simplicity flows through the line to New York, passes through the electromagnet, and thence back to Philadelphia, as long as the key is pressed down, the coil acts as a magnet and attracts and holds fast the armature, but as soon as is released, the current is broken, loses its magnetism, and the armature is pulled back by the spring, by a mechanical device, tape is drawn uniformly under the light marker attached to the armature, if is closed for but a short time, the armature is drawn down for but a short interval, and the marker registers a dot on the tape, if is closed for a longer time, a short dash is made by the marker, and, in general, the length of time that is closed determines the length of the marks recorded on the tape, the telegraphic alphabet consists of dots and dashes and their various combinations, and hence an interpretation of the dot and dash symbols recorded on the tape is all that is necessary for the receiving of a telegraphic message. The Morse telegraphic code, consisting of dots, dashes, and spaces, is given in figure 218. Illustration, A-H-O-U-B-I-T-B-C-J-Q-W-D-K-R-X-E-L-S-Y-F-M-T-Z-G-N figure 218. The Morse telegraphic code. The telegraph is now such a universal means of communication between distant points that one wonders how business was conducted before its invention in 1832 by S.F.B. Morse. 301. Improvements. The sounder. Shortly after the invention of telegraphy, operators learned that they could read the message by the click of the marker against a metal rod which took the place of the tape. In practically all telegraph offices of the present day the old-fashioned tape is replaced by the sounder. Shown in figure 219. When current flows, a lever, is drawn down by the electromagnet and strikes against a solid metal piece with a click, when the current is broken, the lever springs upward, strikes another metal piece and makes a different click. It is clear that the working of the key which starts and stops the current in this line will be imitated by the motion and the resulting clicks of the sounder. By means of these varying clicks of the sounder, the operator interprets the message, the relay, when a telegraph line is very long. The resistance of the wire is great, and the current which passes through the electromagnet is correspondingly weak, so feeble indeed that the armature must be made very thin and light in order to be affected by the makes and breaks in the current. The clicks of an armature light enough to respond to the weak current of a long wire are too faint to be recognized by the ear, and hence in such long circuits some device must be introduced whereby the effect is increased. This is usually done by installing at each station a local battery and a very delicate and sensitive electromagnet called the relay. Under these conditions the current of the main line is not sent through the sounder, but through the relay which opens and closes a local battery in connection with the strong sounder. For example, the relay is so arranged that current from the main line runs through it exactly as it runs through in figure 217. When current is made, the relay attracts an armature which thereby closes a circuit in a local battery and thus causes a click of the sounder. When the current in the main line is broken, the relay loses its magnetic attraction, its armature springs back, connection is broken in the local circuit, and the sounder responds by allowing its armature to spring back with a sharp sound. 302. The Earth an important part of a telegraphic system. We learned in section 299 that electricity could flow through many different substances, one of which was the Earth. In all ordinary telegraph lines, advantage is taken of this fact to utilize the earth as a conductor and to dispense with one wire. Originally two wires were used, as in figure 217, then it was found that a railroad track could be substituted for one wire, and later that the earth itself served equally well for a return wire. 
The present arrangement is shown in figure 220, where there is but one wire, the circuit being completed by the earth. No fact in electricity seems more marvelous than that the thousands of messages flashing along the wires overhead are likewise traveling through the ground beneath. If it were not for this use of the earth as an unfailing conductor, the network of overhead wires in our city streets would be even more complex than at now Island 303. Advances in Telegraphy The mechanical improvements in telegraphy have been so rapid that at present a single operator can easily send or receive 40 words a minute. He can telegraph more quickly than the average person can write, and with a combination of the latest improvements the speed can be enormously increased. Recently, 1500 words were flashed from New York to Boston over a single wire in one second. In actual practice messages are not ordinarily sent long distances over a direct line, but are automatically transferred to new lines at definite points. For example, a message from New York to Chicago does not travel along an uninterrupted path but is automatically transferred at some point, such as Lancaster, to a second line which carries it on to Pittsburgh, where it is again transferred to a third line which takes it farther on to its destination. Chapter XXXIII Magnets and Currents 304 In the 12th century, there was introduced into Europe from China a simple instrument which changed journeying on the sea from uncertain wandering to a definite, safe voyage. This instrument was the compass figure 221 and because of the property of the compass needle magnet to point enteringly north and south, sailors were able to determine directions on the sea and to steer for the desired point, since an electric current is practically equivalent to a magnet section 296. It becomes necessary to know the most important facts relative to magnets, facts simple in themselves but of far-reaching value and consequences in electricity, without a knowledge of the magnetic characteristics of currents. The construction of the motor would have been impossible, and trolley cars, electric fans, motor boats, and other equally well-known electrical contrivances would be unknown. 305. The attractive power of a magnet. The magnet best known to us all is the compass needle, but for convenience we will use a magnetic needle in the shape of a bar larger and stronger than that employed in the compass. If we lay such a magnet on a pile of iron filings, It will be found on lifting the magnet that the filings cling to the ends and tufts, but leave it almost there in the center figure 222. The points of attraction at the two ends are called the poles of the magnet. If a delicately made magnet is suspended as in figure 223, and is allowed to swing freely, it will always assume a definite north and south position. The pole which points north when the needle is suspended is called the north pole and is marked while the pole which points south when the needle is suspended is called the south pole and is marked. A freely suspended magnet points nearly north and south. A magnet has two main points of attraction called respectively the north and south poles. 306. The extent of magnetic attraction. If a thin sheet of paper or cardboard is laid over a strong, bar-shaped magnet and iron filings are then gently strewn on the paper, the filings clearly indicate the position of the magnet beneath and if the cardboard is gently tapped, the filings arrange themselves as shown in figure 224. If the paper is held some distance above the magnet, the influence on the filings is less definite. And finally, if the paper is held very far away, the filings do not respond at all, but lie on the cardboard as dropped. The magnetic power of a magnet, while not confined to the magnet itself, does not extend indefinitely into the surrounding region. The influence is strong near the magnet but at a distance becomes so weak as to be inappreciable. 
The region around a magnet through which its magnetic force is felt is called the field of force, or simply the magnetic field, and the definite lines in which the filings arrange themselves are called lines of force. The magnetic power of a magnet is not limited to the magnet, but extends to a considerable distance in all directions. 307. The influence of magnets upon each other. If while our suspended magnetic needle is at rest in its characteristic north and south direction another magnet is brought near, the suspended magnet is turned, that island motion is produced figure 225. If the north pole of the free magnet is brought toward the south pole of the suspended magnet, the latter moves in such a way that the two poles and are as close together as possible. If the north pole of the free magnet is brought toward the north pole of the suspended magnet, the latter moves in such a way that the two poles and are as far apart as possible. In every case that can be tested, it is found that a north pole repels a north pole, and a south pole repels a south pole, but that a north and a south pole always attract each other. The main facts relative to magnets may be summed up as follows. A magnet points nearly north and south if it is allowed to swing freely. A magnet contains two unlike poles, one of which persistently points north and the other of which is persistently points south, if allowed to swing freely. Poles of the same name repel each other, poles of a like name attract each other. A magnet possesses the power of attracting certain substances, like iron, and this power of attraction is not limited to the magnet itself but extends into the region around the magnet. 308. Magnetic Properties of an Electric Current If a current-bearing wire is really equivalent in its magnetic powers to a magnet, it must possess all of the characteristics mentioned in the preceding section. We saw in section 296 that a coiled wire through which current was flowing would attract iron filings at the two ends of the helix, that a coil through which current flows possesses the characteristics, and of a magnet is shown as follows. If a helix marked at one end with a red string is arranged so that it is free to rotate and a strong current is sent through it, the helix will immediately turn and face about until it points north and south. If it is disturbed from this position, it will slowly swing back until it occupies its characteristic north and south position. The end to which the string is attached will persistently point either north or south. If the current is sent through the coil in the opposite direction, the two poles exchange positions and the helix turns until the new north pole points north. If a coil conducting a current is held near a suspended magnet, one end of the helix will be found to attract the north pole of the magnet while the opposite end will be found to repel the north pole of the magnet. In fact, the helix will be found to behave in every way as a magnet, with a north pole at one end and a south pole at the other. If the current is sent through the helix in the opposite direction, the north and south poles exchange places. If the number of turns in the helix is reduced until but a single loop remains, the result is the same, the single loop acts like a flat magnet, one side of the loop always facing northward and one southward and one face attracting the north pole of the suspended magnet and one repelling it. If a wire is passed through a card and a strong current is sent through the wire, iron filings will, when sprinkled upon the card, arrange themselves in definite directions figure 227. A wire carrying a current is surrounded by a magnetic field of force. A magnetic needle held under a current bearing wire turns on its pivot and finally comes to a rest at an angle with the current. The fact that the needle is deflected by the wire shows that the magnetic power of the wire extends into the surrounding medium. The magnetic properties of current electricity were discovered by Ørsted of Denmark less than a hundred years ago, 
but since that time practically all important electrical machinery has been based upon one or more of the magnetic properties of electricity. The motors which drive our electric fans, our mills, and our trolley cars owe their existence entirely to the magnetic action of current electricity. 309. The principle of the motor. If a closed coil of wire is suspended between the poles of a strong horseshoe magnet, it will not assume any characteristic position but will remain wherever placed. If, however, a current is sent through the wire, the coil faces about and assumes a definite position. This is because a coil, carrying a current, is equivalent to a magnet with a north and south face, and, in accordance with the magnetic laws, tends to move until its north face is opposite the south pole of the horseshoe magnet, and its south face opposite the north pole of the magnet. If, when the coil is at rest in this position, the current is reversed, so that the north pole of the coil becomes a south pole and the former south pole becomes a north pole, the result is that like poles of coil and magnet face each other, but since like poles repel each other, the coil will move and will rotate until its new north pole is opposite to the south pole of the magnet and its new south pole is opposite the north pole. By sending a strong current through the coil, the helix is made to rotate through a half turn, by reversing the current when the coil is at the half turn, the helix is made to continue its rotation and to swing through a whole turn. If the current could be repeatedly reversed just as the helix completed its half turn, the motion could be prolonged, periodic current reversal would produce continuous rotation. This is the principle of the motor. It is easy to see that long continued rotation would be impossible in the arrangement of figure 228, since the twisting of the suspending wire would interfere with free motion. If the motor is to be used for continuous motion, some device must be employed by means of which the helix is capable of continued rotation around its support. In practice, the rotating coil of a motor is arranged as shown in figure 229. Wires from the coil terminate on metal discs and are securely soldered there. The coil and discs are supported by the strong and well-insulated rod, which rests upon braces, but which nevertheless rotates freely with discs and coil. The current flows to the coil through the thin metal strips called brushes, which rest lightly upon the discs. When the current which enters at flows through the wire, the coil rotates, tending to set itself so that its north face is opposite the south face of the magnet. If when the helix has just reached this position, the current is reversed entering at B instead of the poles of the coil are exchanged, the rotation, therefore, does not cease, but continues for another half turn. Proper reversals of the current are accompanied by continuous motion, and since the disc and shaft rotate with the coil, there is continuous rotation. If a wheel is attached to the rotating shaft, weights can be lifted, and if a belt is attached to the wheel, the motion of the rotating helix can be transferred to machinery for practical use. The rotating coil is usually spoken of as the armature, and the large magnet as the field magnet. 310. Mechanical reversal of the current. The commutator. It is not possible by hand to reverse the current with sufficient rapidity and precision to ensure an interrupted rotation. Moreover, the physical exertion of such frequent reversals is considerable. Hence, some mechanical device for periodically reversing the current is necessary. If the motor is to be of commercial value, the mechanical reversal of the current is accomplished by the use of the commutator, which is a metal ring split into halves, well insulated from each other and from the shaft. To each half of this ring is attached one of the ends of the armature wire. The brushes which carry the current are set on opposite sides of the ring and do not rotate, as armature, commutator, and shaft rotate. 
the brushes connect first with one segment of the commutator and then with the other. Since the circuit is arranged so that the current always enters the commutator through the brush, the flow of the current into the coil is always through the segment in contact with, but the segment in contact with changes at every half turn of the coil, and hence the direction of the current through the coil changes periodically. As a result the coil rotates continuously, and produces motion so long as current is supplied from without. 311. The Practical Motor A motor constructed in accordance with section 309 would be of little value in practical everyday affairs, its armature rotates too slowly and with too little force. If a motor is to be of real service, its armature must rotate with sufficient strength to impart motion to the wheels of trolley cars and mills, to drive electric fans, and to set into activity many other forms of machinery. The strength of a motor may be increased by replacing the singly coiled armature by one closely wound on an iron core, in some armatures there are thousands of turns of wire. The presence of soft iron within the armature section 296 causes greater attraction between the armature and the outside magnet, and hence greater force of motion. The magnetic strength of the field magnet influences greatly the speed of the armature, the stronger the field magnet the greater the motion. So electricians make every effort to strengthen their field magnets. The strongest known magnets are electromagnets, which, as we have seen, are merely coils of wire wound on an iron core. For this reason, the field magnet is usually an electromagnet. When very powerful motors are necessary, the field magnet is so arranged that it has four or more poles instead of two. The armature likewise consists of several portions, and even the commutator may be very complex. But no matter how complex these various parts may seem to be, the principle is always that stated in section 309, and the parts are limited to field magnet, commutator, and armature. The motor is of value because by means of it motion, or mechanical energy, is obtained from an electric current. Nearly all electric streetcars figure 232, are set in motion by powerful motors placed under the cars, as the armature rotates. Its motion is communicated by gears to the wheels, the necessary current reaching the motor through the overhead wires. Small motors may be used to great advantage in the home, where they serve to turn the wheels of sewing machines, and to operate washing machines. Vacuum cleaners are frequently run by motors. Chapter XXXID How Electricity May Be Measured 312 Danger of an Oversupply of Current If a small toy motor is connected with one cell, it rotates slowly. If connected with two cells, it rotates more rapidly, and in general, the greater the number of cells used, the stronger will be the action of the motor, but it is possible to send too strong a current through our wire, thereby interfering with all motion and destroying the motor. We have seen in section 288 that the amount of current which can safely flow through a wire depends upon the thickness of the wire. A strong current sent through a fine wire has its electrical energy transformed largely into heat, and if the current is very strong, the heat developed may be sufficient to burn off the insulation and melt the wire itself. This is true not only of motors, but of all electric machinery in which there are current-bearing wires. The current should not be greater than the wires can carry, otherwise too much heat will be developed and damage will be done to instruments and surroundings. The current sent through our electric stoves and irons should be strong enough to heat the coils, but not strong enough to melt them. If the current sent through our electric light wires is too great for the capacity of the wires, the heat developed will injure the wires and may cause disastrous results. The overloading of wires is responsible for many disastrous fires. 
the danger of overloading may be eliminated by inserting in the circuit a fuse or other safety device. A fuse is made by combining a number of metals in such a way that the resulting substance has a low melting point and a high electrical resistance. A fuse is inserted in the circuit, and the instant the current increases beyond its normal amount the fuse melts, breaks the circuit, and thus protects the remaining part of the circuit from the danger of an overload. In this way, a circuit designed to carry a certain current is protected from the danger of an accidental overload. The noise made by the burning out of a fuse in a trolley car frequently alarms passengers, but it is really a sign that the system is in good working order and that there is no danger of accident from too strong a current. 313. How current is measured. The preceding section has shown clearly the danger of too strong a current, and the necessity for limiting the current to that which the wire can safely carry. There are times when it is desirable to know accurately the strength of a current not only in order to guard against an overload, but also in order to determine in advance the mechanical and chemical effects which will be produced by the current. For example, the strength of the current determines the thickness of the coating of silver which forms in a given time on a spoon placed in an electrolytic bath, if the current is weak. A thin plating is made on the spoon, if the current is strong. A thick plating is made, if, therefore, the exact value of the current is known. The exact amount of silver which will be deposited on the spoon in a given time can be definitely calculated. Current measuring instruments, or galvanometers, depend for their action on the magnetic properties of current electricity. The principle of practically all galvanometers is as follows. A closely wound coil of fine wire free to rotate is suspended as in figure 233 between the poles of a strong magnet. When a current is sent through the coil. The coil becomes a magnet and turns so that its faces will be towards the poles of the permanent magnet. But as the coil turns, the suspending wire becomes twisted and hinders the turning. For this reason, the coil can turn only until the motion caused by the current is balanced by the twist of the suspending wire. But the stronger the current through the coil, the stronger will be the force tending to rotate the coil. And hence the less effective will be the hindrance of the twisting string. As a consequence, the coil swings farther than before, that island the greater the current, the farther the swing. Usually a delicate pointer is attached to the movable coil and rotates freely with it, so that the swing of the pointer indicates the relative values of the current. If the source of the current is a gravity cell, the swing is only two-thirds as great as when a dry cell is used, indicating that the dry cell furnishes about one one-two times as much current as a gravity cell. 314. Ammeters. A galvanometer does not measure the current, but merely indicates the relative strength of different currents, but it is desirable at times to measure a current in units. Instruments for measuring the strength of currents in units are called ammeters, and the common form makes use of a galvanometer. A current is sent through a movable coil the field magnet and coil are enclosed in the case figure 234, and the magnetic field thus developed causes the coil to turn and the pointer attached to it to move over a scale graduated so that it reads current strengths. The scale is carefully graduated by the following method. If two silver rods figure 208 are weighed and placed in a solution of silver nitrate, and current from a single cell is passed through the liquid for a definite time, we find, on weighing the two rods, that one has gained in weight and the other has lost. If the current is allowed to flow twice as long, the amount of silver lost and gained by the electrodes is doubled, and if twice the current is used, the result is again doubled. As a result of numerous experiments, it was found that a definite current of electricity will deposit a definite amount of silver in a definite time. 
and that the amount of silver deposited on an electrode in one second might be used to measure the current of electricity which has flowed through the circuit in one second. A current is said to be one ampere strong if it will deposit silver on an electrode at the rate of 0.001118 gram per second. In marking the scale, an ammeter is placed in the circuit of an electrolytic cell and the position of the pointer is marked on the blank card which lies beneath and which is to serve as a scale figure 235. After the current has flowed for about an hour, the amount of silver which has been deposited is measured, knowing the time during which the current has run, and the amount of deposit. The strength of the current in amperes can be calculated. This number is written opposite the place at which the pointer stood during the experiment. The scale may be completed by marking the positions of the pointer when other currents of known strength flow through the ammeter. All electric plants, whether for heating, lighting, or for machinery, are provided with ammeters. Such instruments being as important to an electric plant as the steam gauges to the boiler. 315. Voltage and Voltmeters. Since electromotive force, or voltage, is the cause of current, it should be possible to compare different electromotive forces by comparing the currents which they produce in a given circuit, but two voltages of equal value do not give equal currents unless the resistances met by the currents are equal. For example, the simple voltaic cell and the gravity cell had approximately equal voltages, but the current produced by the voltaic cell is stronger than that produced by the gravity cell. This is because the current meets more resistance within the gravity cell than within the voltaic cell. Every cell, no matter what its nature, offers resistance to the flow of electricity through it and is said to have internal resistance. If we are determining the voltage of various cells by a comparison of the respective currents produced, the result will be true only on condition that the resistances in the various circuits are equal. If a very large external resistance of fine wire is placed in circuit with a gravity cell, the total resistance of the circuit made up of the relatively small resistance in the cell and the larger resistance in the rest of the circuit.